The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guests' own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of AIHA. AIHA does not endorse any guest or the entity that they represent. On this episode of Healthier Workplaces, Indoor Air Quality in Schools. Help people, especially young people, learn about the OEHS profession so that they can learn the blend between science and reaching people. I think it's important to remember that we're exposure scientists as OEHS professionals. We're not security guards and facilities need to understand our expertise. AIHA members represent some of the most knowledgeable, influential people in the world. Building relationships with folks in their local community is one of the best things they can do. Welcome to Healthier Workplaces. I'm Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine and your host for this show from AIHA. This week's show focuses on indoor air quality in schools and how OEHS professionals can engage with them to enhance their position in their communities. When we come back, we are joined by AIHA's Mark Ames, Nancy McClellan, and Alex LeBeau to discuss these important topics. Stay with us. The importance of industrial hygienists and OEHS professionals has never been better recognized. Safety science experts keeping workers and communities safe. A mixture of science and application. AIHA is the association that represents these professionals and what they do. Teamwork, thinking outside the box and solving unique challenges. A winning combination for healthier workplaces and a healthier world. important things that I think anybody can do, any OEHS professional, is help their communities understand what they do, how great the profession is, and one of the really tangible ways to do that is by going into a school and meeting with students, teachers, school leaders. It's a great way to encourage students to pursue careers in OEHS. The breadth of careers is so diverse. There are so many different types, so many different flavors of career that someone can pursue in OEHS. And then part of that conversation can be about improving the learning and working conditions of schools. So as OEHS professionals are talking about how they do their job, risk assessment, things like that, then can use examples from the environment that you're in. You can talk about how you can encourage students to to think about the hazards that may be present in their environment. You can talk to student, to teachers about how they might incorporate OEHS into their curriculum. You can talk with school leaders about how to improve schools, and you can talk to district leaders about curriculum issues. So there's a lot of different ways to get involved. And of course, there's also STEM festivals. You can talk to uh, the guidance counselors about careers in OEHS. So there's a whole lot of different ways that we can get involved. And one of the great things that you can do is work with a lot of other chapters. So while I represent AIHA, 
then there's a lot of other chapters in every community that you can uh, that you can link up with. There's ASHRAE. There's so many different chapters, so many different professional societies, civil society groups, even the YMCA, Boys and Girls Clubs. There's so many different ways, Boys and you know, Girl Scouts, so many different ways for everyone to interact with the constituent parts of their community and talk about how important OEHS is to really everyone. So obviously the, what comes to mind is of course a, a planned career day uh, function that might, you know, might be at the school. Uh, but I, I'm gathering here from the, from your, your uh, what you've just said is that you're, you're thinking of taking it further than that, right? More than just like a once a year opportunity, but actually looking for uh, multiple avenues with which you could interact with a school district and uh, perhaps their facilities people, their staff, their, uh, their health and safety people, and also the students. Yeah, so there's no right or wrong way to get involved. There's so many different ways to to interact with schools and the education community. You can go into schools. So what are the certain what are the tools that we're gonna produce in the near future? It'll just be another week or two, is a how-to guide for how to go into your schools. So I live in Maryland, and, and while I don't have any kids, I would love to go and visit a school. Now, that might be a little intimidating, even for someone like me. I might go on a Google Maps and look to see what schools are in my area, but then what do I do? How do I make that first introduction if I don't have any direct connections with those schools? How would I or someone else as an OEHS professional go in and kind of make a cold call? That can be really intimidating. So one of the things that we're going to produce and provide to AIHA members and, and the public, any OEHS professional, anybody, is a step-by-step how-to guide for how to make that connection, how to get into a school and talk to students, talk to teachers, talk to school leaders and district leaders. Uh, and so there are different, many different ways that you can do this. And there's also the advocacy perspective, of course, talking about different uh, laws and legislation and different ways to advocate for improving OEHS in that way. I mean, that seems like it could be somewhat daunting, right? I mean, uh, you know, because effectively it is a cold call. And traditionally, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that many OEHS professionals are not necessarily known at being, you know, more of the uh, the forward marketing uh, types. I mean, science experts, certainly uh, caring people, very knowledgeable people, but not necessarily geared at public relations, right? Yeah, absolutely. It can definitely, that's the thing, right? So it can be super daunting. It can be really scary to make that cold call and you're not exactly sure what you're going to encounter. So that's step-by-step how to guide is going to help out. AIHA has a group, it's called IMH in schools. It's focused on AIHA, but we welcome other folks to get involved. Other non-AIHA members can certainly contact me and other folk to get involved. Again, we're collaborative. We realize that there are a lot of professional societies, a lot of folks within our communities that would love to connect with us and we'd love to connect with them. And because we've got a portion of the expertise, OEHS professionals, so many different types have a portion of the expertise. But I know that I think everybody uh, on this meeting today has has been to a school and they have experience and and so part of the our goal is to lift up the stories of our members who are going into schools and inspire other members to do the same so there's a lot of interrelated reasons why we're pursuing this this is part of aiha's new public policy priorities 
but it's absolutely in line with all of our other strategic priorities as an association and, and really as a society. I mean, this guide, so this guide is a new initiative, but obviously yeah. this, the impetus for this is, is, you know, uh, longstanding, right? So, so, uh, Nancy, I see you nodding away on this. Um, you know, I, I'm going to pass it to you for a second and to Alex. So you've had experience, uh, dealing directly with schools and, try, and trying to implement, uh, what Mark's suggesting here. Yeah, I'm smiling because I'm recalling experiences where in the past I've gone into my neighborhood schools, especially middle school and high school, but, but sometimes even elementary, where I walked in in full personal protective equipment, meaning I had on a respirator, I had on the white bunny suit, I had on boots and gloves, and I walked through the school and I realized, oh, I, I'm frightening some people, but then they're realizing that it's career day. And they knew that I was headed for the auditorium where we were presenting on career day. But it was an experience where I knew I was getting the attention of people in order to share with them the fact that 2.4 million people die from chemical exposures every year around the world. That's a huge number. 2.4 million preventable deaths. And that's really part of the mission of our occupation is to combat that. Well, we need to start at ground level. We need to uh, reach into those STEM programs and those programs that are already existing and collaborate with them in order to raise awareness of the impact that our profession can have around the world and especially in the U.S. I mean, certainly coming in 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 the bunny suit publicly is reminiscent of the first Ghostbusters with uh, the three of them walking in. Anybody seen any ghost? Uh, but it, it makes sense because you are trying you are trying to make an impression right out of out of the blocks, and um, that's certainly that's an interesting w way to do it. Um, you'll you'll get attention. Oh yeah. Alex, you, you've, you know, you, you nodded as well. So obviously you've had some experience with us. I'd love to, love to hear some of your uh, thoughts. Sure. You know, I've had experience in schools for a number of years down here in Florida. We have uh, mold issues uh, quite often. So I've been in schools with mold issues, again, from the reactive side as industrial hygienists typically are. Uh, but starting during COVID, uh, there were issues where people were posting all over. Um, and I reached out to a school board member and said, you know, I'd like to have some little more interaction. So I had some interaction with her and some people at the uh, local district. Uh, most recently, last November, um, it was the uh, American Teach-In. So I reached out to my daughter's teacher and said, hey, may I come to your class and talk about what I do? And I reached out additionally. Uh, so they call it the, the gifted program is Spark. So I reached out to the Spark teacher and said, hey, may I come to speak to your class? And she said, the fifth graders will be all ears for you. Um, so, I, you know, I got the opportunity and, you know, we're OHA is professionals, but it's important to say, you know, hey, we are scientists and look at it from that way because they are viewing things from the science aspect. So if we approach things from the science aspect of them, it kind of gets a little more in the door to them so they understand that, you know, what we do is science based, you know, generally taking it back, we're exposure scientists. So we're looking at how exposures occur and what can happen from those exposures. So having that opportunity to explain it to those kids was amazing. And now I've got those contacts. I've been to the school. I know the president of the PTA there. I know the, the spark teacher. You know, if I, if I want to take it further, and this is what, you know, I think we've talked about in the IMIH in schools, as Mark uh, talked about earlier. You know, it gives us an opportunity. We have a contact now. 
I can reach out and say, hey, you know, I visited this classroom. Uh, you know, this teacher recommended I reach out to you. Can I set up a meeting to have another discussion or further discussion? So it kind of opens the door just beyond the initial getting over that hump of a quote unquote cold call and getting into the school and then actually having a real meaningful discussion. So in this and this outreach and, you know, this initiative for outreach uh, on the part of your organization, um, I mean, obviously it, it's it's, I think it's multi-pronged, right? I mean, certainly to try to drive interest in uh, in the various uh, OEHS uh, professional paths that, that students could pursue, uh, mm -hmm. certainly. But uh, it's a bit more than that, too, isn't it? Is it not also to, uh, you know, help familiarize the, that school district with maybe the off the services that, that OEHS professional offers and, uh, you know, or their company offers and, and, and just... I mean, it, it seems like it does. It does have a marketing aspect of it, even if that's an underlying soft side of it. Is that part of the intent, or just that just happens? Well, it has even a greater marketing approach nowadays because of the pandemic. And so during the pandemic, we became very high in demand because we handle chemical and biological and physical exposures in the workplace and in the public. And so during the pandemic. Basically, the world realized that exposure scientists or OEHS professionals could come in and apply what they were already doing in order to provide anticipation, recognition, evaluation, and control of pandemic conditions. And I spent the last three years uh, focusing on facilities in order to improve pandemic resilience in those buildings. And so indoor air quality became a household term overnight, and now there's a heightened awareness, there's a heightened appetite for information about that. And so it really made what we do for a living a very high profile for the last three years, and it's, it's given a big boost to our profession. I mean, we're clearly at a unique place in time, uh, you mm -hmm. know, as a result of this pandemic, right? You know, once in a lifetime uh, global occurrence that, I think, as you just mentioned, I think it did propel, you know, uh, indoor air quality, indoor environmental quality, you know, and those acronyms, IEQ, IEQ, uh, to the forefront of public awareness. You know, I, I think I think we're all jaded in the industry because we know those terms. We know all the acronyms. We throw this stuff around you know, on a regular basis and we assume everybody understands it too. My wife points this out to me at social gatherings, you know, prior to the pandemic where I start throwing the IEQ stuff around and people just look at me like, what? what do you do? Right. So I think we have an opportunity now, right? Cause we have, we've captured collectively uh, the attention of the general public. So th this is, this is a good time to push this forward. Yeah, we have, and not only have we pushed forward, but the technologies that are associated with that, that have risen out of the pandemic, the technologies that support air and surface disinfection, the technologies that add IOT to things so that we can have information real time, uh, information that's rapidly evolving as a result of artificial intelligence being added to it, where, you know, we have algorithms that can use sensor systems to detect what's going on with indoor air quality. And while before the pandemic, that might have only applied to certain uh, occupational settings, it's now broadly spread across all industries and public sector. Um, so it's just exploded in terms of technology, awareness, 
and information uh, being able to provide us with a better sense of what is our indoor environmental quality. We'll be back after this. Meet Alice Hamilton. She was an early pioneer in what we know today as industrial hygiene. Her work had a profound impact on AIHA's earliest members. AIHA's Hamilton Club recognizes organizations that continue her work. These corporate partners use innovation and expertise to shape the future of worker health and safety. Partners receive tiered benefits of access, recognition, contribution, and brand exposure. The Hamilton Club is the center of support and investment between club partners, AIHA, and its members. This is where the future of the profession shines the brightest. For more information, visit AIHA.info slash Hamilton Club. And I would say, um, you know, even more broadly than OEHS, STEM in general, right? The, the technology is affecting all the sciences and engineering uh, mm -hmm. disciplines. Um, so big change. So, so Mark, you know, in your capacity at, uh, at the organization AIHA, um, you, this has got to be something that's really, uh, you know, on, on uh, the minds of everybody involved there, right? As far as, far as riding this horse. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So one of the amazing things that's happened is that policymakers in the nation's capital and the White House so around the country, they're realizing something that we have known for a long time, that AIHA represents some of the most knowledgeable, influential people in the world, particularly on, of course, OEHS broadly, but for example, on IEQ they are recognizing that AIHA represents some of the most knowledgeable and influential people in every community and even around the world. And, and that's powerful when they're realizing that, hey, you know, we don't have 10 million members and that's okay because we have the expertise that they're looking for. We can provide the guidance. We can provide them with the confidence. We can answer the questions that they have as they're dealing with the pandemic as they're thinking through indoor air and environmental quality issues, as they're thinking, for instance, how to improve the learning and working conditions of schools, how to improve student education, and all kinds of things around the country. They're realizing that they have professionals such as AIHA members, but also the OEHS community broadly in their communities. They have experts that they can turn to to answer the questions that they have. And in an age where public trust in science can kind of be waning, one of the most important things that we can do, that AIHA and really any other members can do is build those relationships, whether they're in a school or anywhere else in the community, have conversations about what you do and, and how you help improve the health and safety of their lives, how you have a direct impact. So that's been one of the remarkable things that I've had the pleasure of witnessing, how policymakers and really everyone have recognized the tremendous role that this very noble set of professions have. And we're on a wonderful trajectory. 
And for this IMIH in schools program, that's another manifestation of the direction that we're going to get our members even more engaged in communities, strengthen and build those relationships to have that lasting impact on everyone's lives. Yeah, I was going to say, to, to that point, it, it, even the fact that the White House convened that half-day indoor air quality summit back in the fall, um, yeah. first time I can ever remember a White House initiative specifically uh, about indoor air quality. I mean, obviously, uh, I think back in the, the mid-90s, well, early 90s, you know, we had, we had a, a big push because we were dealing predominantly with uh, smoking indoors, and it was really driven by that in the early 90s. And it looked like there was going to be all this, but there was proposed legislation. Kennedy and some of the other ones proposed, you know, there, there was going at the federal level was going to be IQ stuff, and that all just vaporized. And, but this is the first time that I've actually seen uh, initiative to the extent that, uh, you, you know, it, it was specifically for indoor air quality and talking about moving forward. It just seems like it's becoming more of a, at least a federal priority at this point. Um, is that is that the consensus of all of you on, uh, yeah. on the show here? There's a number of drivers for that though. There's drivers from climate change where we know that that's gonna impact indoor air quality. We know that there's energy changes for how we use energy, the energy sources that we consider. So those are all driving forces be behind indoor air quality and it's, it's all intertwined. So we know that when we improve indoor air quality, we can often have energy savings, um, especially with a lot of the technologies that are evolving out there where we're starting to see carbon neutralization technologies. We're starting to see um, cost-effective disinfection technologies. We're seeing sensor systems that are far more sensitive and accurate than what we've had in the past. We have that whole evolution of sensor technologies out there. And our sister organization, NIOSH, for instance, has a whole division that studies sensor technologies because we know that that's where it's going in order that we can better recognize what's in our indoor environment and control it uh, based on these technologies that are out there. I mean, but I, IAQ, IAQ um, is really just one aspect of uh, OEHS, right? I mean, that's, yes. that's, but, it seems like that one safety has always been a big issue, right? Workplace safety and, and, but, but certainly it seems like the indoor air quality uh, aspects of OEHS seem to be at the forefront since we're coming off of this, uh, you know, global pandemic that was, you know, the transmission vectors and the, and the whole thing. It just seems like it falls right into the realm of the uh, OEHS professional. Um, well, so, I agree. It, it so, just depends on where you are. It, Alex, did you want to take this one? I don't know who jumped in there. Well, yeah, no, I mean, sure. This the, the the pandemic. I mean, it gave us the unique opportunity as industrial hygienists. Typically, industrial hygienists are a, a lot of times. Typically, uh, we are a reactive group. People will bring us in after an issue has already occurred for us to control that issue and produce some corrective action. The pandemic, I think, has given us a unique opportunity to be, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a more of a pre, uh, proactive instead of reactive group. You know, we're able to come in, you know, reactively typically, but now we can be get uh, before issues occur. You know, being on that proactive front is a lot more beneficial, I think, in the long run. I think that's recognized. You know, and not only schools, but that's a, a big one in a number of different settings, whether it's a workplace, whether it's a shopping mall, whether it's an airport, what have you. 
Um, last year, end of last year, I was able to uh, co-author an article that uh, appeared in the AIHA uh, publication, The Synergist, about facility health risk assessments in correctional institutions. A lot of times, you know, there were mentions of correctional institutions during the pandemic and issues, but it highlighted the problems in those facilities that really weren't addressed. And it gives the opportunity for us to say, listen, these places have not received a lot of attention where they actually need to. You know, it, worrying about individuals' health in those type of scenarios uh, is important and you need to get ahead of it. And so building design, getting us in there before a building is designed to be kind of on that group. Uh, saying, listen, you know, it's, you know, we need to control things or implement controls. So in case these issues occur, why are you designing it like this? From from the IEQ standpoint, we would suggest you build it like this would be more beneficial in the long run. Mm -hmm. I, I think you hit upon a really good point, though, that typically we were looking at indoor air quality from a larger sense before the pandemic in that you'd have a wide range of hazard levels in an indoor space. Um, for instance, if you go to pharmaceutical industry, you can have things that are part of a chemical process, making drugs that are, that are needed that are so hazardous that one exposure one time to a worker could cause serious irreversible health effects down to dust that's in the air that's just considered a nuisance. So you have a very wide range of materials that people can be exposed to. And our job is to look at the severity of those hazards and then look at the likelihood that they might actually be exposed. And that's how we do risk assessment. When the pandemic hit, indoor air quality became paramount because for the first time we had a hazard inside all indoor spaces that was very severe and it was high likelihood. And so the attention of our profession had to shift to the pandemic because we were all confronted with this high severity, high likelihood, high risk situation that became part of indoor air quality and probably always will. One of the concerns I have with that though is that was directly in response to an aerosolized biological hazard, right? Um, and and it created a whole set of parameters and you know reactionary uh, moves, bringing portable air cleaners into spaces because you couldn't get proper ventilation in the space. And, and I I just see a lot of conflation of terms. I've said this on other shows where air changes got conflated to be air cycles. Uh, because these portable machines are not doing air changes in the space; they're doing air cycles, and they're predominantly just dealing for filtering out particles, which in the case we were, you know, a bioaerosol we were trying to get rid of. But you're you're neglecting a lot of other areas. You know, if you try you keep portable air uh, HEPA filter units aren't going to help with ventilation and elevated CO2 levels and gaseous mm -hmm. contaminants. And, and IOQ IOQ is so much more complex than just worrying about a respirable particle that's infectious, right? Yep, absolutely. I think probably the the best mantra that I heard through the pandemic is there is no silver bullet. Okay, there's not going to be one solution that's going to cure all the ills of indoor air quality. So some while companies try to purport that, though, you're right. You're right. I saw a lot of snake oil while I was vetting technologies and products during the pandemic, things that actually caused more hazards than they cured. I, I still see that stuff. Yes, we do. Yes. It's it's kind of scary when you trip over uh, cleansers that have carcinogens in them. Um, when you have 
technologies claiming to have 99.99% reduction in bioaerosols when there's no studies to back that up. There's no science or research. So we've seen a lot of that. And I think that the best approach for most building owners was to layer those solutions on. So maybe they did use portable air filters to do what's called effective air changes per hour. So there's a new acronym because we realize that it is putting out cleaner air. And so it is contributing to those air changes per hour, but it's not truly effective or truly air changes per hour. It's the new acronym is effective because I agree with your point that it's, it's not the same. You still have gases in the air. You still might have dust in the air. You, even though the filter claims a certain efficiency, it's not 100%. And so looking at gases and dust and whatever else could be a hazard in your occupied space, you need a layered approach for addressing that. And Nancy, you made a great point there. And, you know, I like to say this is there is no one size fits all model. Everyone thinks that you can do the same thing in every scenario, but each building has its own unique set of challenges and designs that somebody has to come in and evaluate it. And just because some product or some technology may be implemented in one setting doesn't mean it's going to be effective in the other setting. And it may actually be detrimental in the second setting that it's set up in. Right. But that's a huge point you just made, Alex, because, you know, it, 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 it lends itself to the fact that you do need OEHS professionals to come in and, and evaluate spaces, make these decisions. And, and, and these things can't be just done by salespeople pushing a product line. You know, you, you really need an unbiased scientific approach to these things. Right. I, I like to tell people if they want to implement a technology, ask for the safety information, ask for the efficacy data that they submitted when they're applying their product. Let us review it. That's our independent third-party evaluation of it to say, yes, it is going to be effective in that scenario. Let us come in and look at the scenario you're going to set it up in or say, no, this is not the right fit for your scenario. There are more traditional things that we may be able to do for your setting. But I think having that independent third-party evaluation is very crucial for setting it up in these uh, these new times with new technologies. And again, uh, the potential for technologies that are, are not useful or could be harmful. Well, and after you look at efficacy and safety of a technology, then you need to look at return on investment and ease of maintenance, because we have a lot of portable HEPA filters unplugged, kicked to a corner, shoved in a closet because maybe they were too noisy. Maybe they were taking up too much space maybe the perception is that they're not needed anymore. So you also have to look at what is the sustainability of this solution? And is it going to give you a return on investment? Um, because this is not something that's gonna go away. We're always gonna have biohazards. We certainly do have other policy priorities. Our policy priorities are thermal stress, encouraging students to pursue careers in OEHS, we have school infrastructure improvements built into that because improving the learning and working conditions of schools is closely connected to uh, to encouraging students to pursue careers in OEHS. And that's elementary through high secondary and higher education. So it's K through 12 and college. So uh, so all types of institutions of education, there, college students, uh, also with the military veterans. There's a lot of connected communities, but our 
Uh, our pri policy priorities are noise, thermal stress, encouraging students to pursue careers in OEHS and school infrastructure is a good way to think about it. They're all closely interconnected. For instance, if you go into a school, then you could easily talk about thermal stress as well as noise. You could talk about school infrastructure. So that's one of the reasons why lately we've really been focusing on using schools as a mechanism to begin several related conversations. I mean, so the point, the point of the guidance document uh, is really right, right to that, right? The idea is to, yeah, uh, to help get professionals out there. Yeah. Yep, and we well, have an action, uh, a, a new grassroots advocacy center that we're launching uh, next, if not this week, then next they'll be uh, speaking of uh, lots of fun activities that various policymakers are doing. There's going to be a member of Congress next week that will introduce a bipartisan bill on mold. It touches on schools. AIJ supports that bill. And we will be uh, and we'll be issuing one of our very first action alerts in a while. Uh, encouraging our members and really anybody to support that. So lots of ways to get involved, wh whether it be with our policy priorities or we really encourage those relationships to be developed and strengthened in communities. Well, and with our younger population, and especially K through 12, they're all very aware of climate change. Okay, Climate change has been studied and covered in schools for years and years now. Climate change is the reason that we're focusing so heavily on thermal stress because we realize workers are being subjected, especially if they're working outdoors or they're working in environments where heat is trapped and for whatever ventilation reasons isn't removed appropriately, thermal stress has become a huge issue. So young people, they're going to connect those dots and see where we're going simply by talking to them about climate change and what's precipitating as a result of that. One thing that Mark brought up that I thought was interesting was, you know, talking about infrastructure in schools and this, and, you know, schools is a great example uh, of what we can do to improve uh, general IEQ. Uh, one thing that I think that was very apparent and, and uh, that was observed during the pandemic was the fact that the, the impact of deferred maintenance on systems in those buildings uh, and how that impacted IEQ and made us aware that, you know, that is a big problem. You know, recognizing that you have systems not only in your school that are in place, but maybe haven't been maintained in a number of years or being as, are as effective as they once were when new or maintained properly. And that just kind of highlights the things that we is, is scientists and OEHS professionals can go in there and say, listen, you know, if you want to, you know, adequately address issues, let's start small. Let's smart. Let's start with the maintenance that should be happening on your systems. And this can be used as an example for all different types of facilities, because I know being in other different types of facilities, there is deferred maintenance it's, that goes on all the time. The money just has to roll over to something else. But it's important that if you have those systems, they have to be maintained properly to make sure that they are being as effective as they you claim that they are uh, to make sure the people inside those spaces are safe. Yeah. So it seems that schools is the common thread here today, uh, you know, for how how we're able to move the OEH, OEHS uh, profession forward uh, and mm -hmm. maybe have greater impact. Um, right. 
Mark, Nancy, Alex, thanks so very much for joining us uh, this week on the Healthy uh, Healthier Workplaces show. And uh, we're lo really looking forward to this document coming out. When, when do you anticipate the guidance document will be available, Mark? Yes, yeah, so the IMIH group, so it'll probably be uh, next week. So guidance may be too strong of a term. Really, it's a how-to document describing how to set up a meeting with a school, how to visit a school. That'll be published sometime next Thursday or Friday. AIHA has a number of related web pages. We'll make sure that it's distributed uh, all throughout those web pages posted on our online community and we'll tweet it out and, and we'll, we'll send it out on our various social media platforms as well. It's going to be uh, broadly applicable and, and also it's uh, to be used by not just AIHA members, but the steps can be used really by anybody. Mm -hmm.